1 John, I took a stroll down memory lane and I reread 1 John one last time for this teaching session to, to find those passages that have meant a lot to me in my past, that mean a lot to me in my memory. So I want to look at a couple of those passages with you, stroll down memory lane, if you will, before we leave 1 John and begin, I believe, Revelation next week. So, 1 John 3, 19 through 20, feelings and salvation. Feelings and salvation. And this stroll down memory lane happened when I was in, ah, I'll tell you that in a minute. Let me give you the three we're looking at. We're going to look then at 1 John 4, 1 and following, testing the spirits. And then we're going to look at the role of love, 1 John 4, 19. So let's start now with feelings and salvation. So when I was in, in school, some nice fella asked our Greek professor, Harvey Floyd, said, Dr. Floyd, how do you feel about your salvation? And Dr. Floyd took his glasses off, and as he and only he could do, he goes, how do I feel about my salvation? How do, how do I feel? Feel, feel, how do I feel about my salvation? I don't know that that matters. Why don't you ask me what I think about my salvation? Let me tell you why. And he turned us to 1 John 3, 19 and 20, where I'd ask you to look at with me for a moment. John writes, By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Dr. Floyd said, sometimes as Christians... We think too much about how we feel about our salvation. We think too much, do we feel the love of God? Do we feel saved? Do we feel God cares for us? Do we feel like if we were to die tonight, we would go to heaven or not? Do we feel, he said, feelings are fleeting and very unreliable. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a decision. He says, when you trust in God to save you, you're not being saved because of how you feel about God or how you feel about your salvation. You're being saved because you are going to trust yourself to God who is stronger than your feelings. Who is stronger than than anything about you, and he will reach down and he will save you. And of that we have confidence because he has told us that. And when our hearts tell us one thing, our minds can trump our hearts and say, heart, you are wrong. You may not feel God is loving you. You may not feel that you are saved, but you are. Because this is about God. And then he said, turn to Psalm 42. 
Now, Psalm 42 actually goes together with Psalm 43. They're different psalms in the English, but in the Hebrew, they're all the same psalm. How many of y'all were in here when we did Old Testament literacy and I taught you the Hebrew alphabet? Okay, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. If I can, this would be cool. Um, I don't know if you remember any of your um, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Yodes, but if you do, then we will look real quick at Psalm. And if you don't, just pretend you do, and the person next to you is going to be so impressed. Okay? So here, let's see if this works, is Psalm... Psalm 42. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Well, it's not going to show up right here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, you can sort of see it. It's not going to work good for you. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 in the Hebrew are an acrostic psalm. They go together. You can read them together here. And it is a perfect example of what John is talking about. Let's get the scripture up here. We're there. It's divided into three sections, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Look at these sections and see how they work. As a deer pants, we're in Psalm 42, for flowing streams, so my soul Pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is the psalm of someone whose heart feels separated from God. They don't feel loved by God. They don't feel um, accepted by God. They don't feel like God's there. They feel alone. They feel isolated. My tears have been my food day and night. I can't eat. All I do is cry. People are saying to me, where is your God? All day long. And so this whole concept of, of, of feelings is right here. And the feelings just aren't there. And so what does the psalmist do when his feelings aren't there? He kicks in his brain. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how I would go with the throng, lead them in procession to the house of God, glad shouts, songs of praise, a big church revival. I remember when I felt so good with God. I remember when I've worshipped Him. I remember when I've called on Him. I remember the relationship with God that is there. Then he continues. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Trust in God. I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. And that is the brain trumping the heart. That is John's language. Let yourself be reassured when your heart condemns you. God is greater than your heart. 
Now, if the psalm ended there, it would be a wonderful psalm. But it would not as accurately reflect life as what we experience. Because you can tell your heart one thing, but your heart doesn't always respond immediately. You can say, hey, God loves you, even though you don't feel loved, Mark. God is there with you, even though you feel alone. God is real, and your salvation is real, even though you may not feel it. Your heart doesn't always say, oh, gee, thanks, I feel so much better now. Sometimes, your heart still says, well, yeah, that may be true, but I feel like doo-doo. And that's where the psalmist is. After that great pep talk, Psalm 42 continues. My soul is still cast down within me. But therefore, I'm going to remember you, God. I'm going to remember you from here to here. I'm going to remember your steadfast love that you command by day. The song within me at night. The prayer to the God of my life. I'm going to remember these things. I say to God. Why, why have you forgotten me? I'm just going to lay it out there. God, why, why aren't you here? I don't feel you. Why am I mourning? Why am I going around with my adversaries taunting me, saying all day long, where's your God? What does he do? He kicks back into instruction mode. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted or in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. I'd love to tell you that it ends there, but Psalm 43 picks it up as he continues to pray because he continues to have the problem. And so, even though he still feels bad, he says, send out your light and truth, let him lead me and bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then... I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And he ends, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so we have in this collection of Psalms a marvelous example. If we go, yes, you're already ahead of me, back to the PowerPoint. In Psalm 42 and 43, we have the same concept of It's not a question of how I feel before God. It's just not. And you may feel right with God, and when, when you do, praise the Lord. But if you feel disquieted, and you feel in turmoil, and you feel like God's not there, or you feel like you, you're just not right with Him, and you're not saved with Him, you may have sins you need to address. There may be some issues you need to sort out. But don't ever let your feelings dictate your reality on this. Understand what it is. And it's okay. You know, I, I did a funeral for a, a woman who's worked for me for almost 30 years. Her husband died last uh, week or week before last. I did the funeral last week. And, I mean, they're hurting. Ann Young's mother just passed away. Ann is probably hurting even though her mother's in glory, class member here. But, you know, we can grieve and we can hurt. And we may feel like the world's crumbling. But always let 
our minds reassure our hearts there is a God who loves us, whom we have praised before, and as we continue to walk faithfully, we can be confident we will praise again. And that's something to sustain us. So that's first stroll down memory lane. Second stroll down memory lane, testing the spirits. So there was in my high school a fellow named Eddie, Eddie Bell. And Eddie was a year older than me, and Eddie was wild and crazy. Smart guy, good extemper, Sarah. And uh, Eddie was, um, I mean, he was everything revolutionary. Had to have his hair the longest, was the first kid to smoke. He was nothing but trouble. Eddie uh, uh, did not believe in God. And he was real clear not to believe in God. And Eddie and I would get involved in these discussions about God. and Did God exist? And Eddie was... And, and, and Eddie said to me, I've read the Bible. I know the Bible. And the Bible's nothing. And I said, oh, yes, the Bible's something. And I, we would have these discussions. And so finally, Eddie goes to me with a New International Version translation of 1 John 4, 19. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come from God, is or has come in the flesh, is from God. Let me get that right. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, he points this scripture out to me and says, do you believe this scripture? I said, yes, I believe this scripture. I said 419, it's not 419, it's 42, 1 John 4, 2. He said, okay, I will acknowledge Jesus Christ came in the flesh. But I don't believe in God. So by scripture, I'm acknowledging it. I don't believe in God. Therefore, I'm from God if scripture's right. But how can I be from God if I'm saying I don't believe in God? Scripture must be wrong. It's set up a conundrum that can't be answered. And I said, Eddie, that's stupid. And I explained the reasons to me as a 16-year-old boy that that was stupid. I needed to learn a little bit more to know just how stupid it was. But it caused me, I always go back to Eddie Bell in that conversation. By the way, Eddie today is an incredible Christian man serving the Lord in the church. I need to add that. I would not have used his whole name otherwise. I love you, Eddie. Um, and praise God for you. Uh, Eddie is a Christian today because he was truly searching, even in the midst of his rebellion. And God will be found. It's not hard. He wants to be found. It's the hide-and-seek game? No. It's the here-I-am game. You know, we have to close our eyes not to see God. We have to clog up our ears not to hear God. So, Anyway, here's what what we know. First of all, we know that John was writing to a church that had some specific problems. The church in that day, as we've discussed in earlier lessons on 1 John, was really um, uh, dealing with an issue of some people who took Greek, Platonic thought 
thought that's associated originally with Plato, but at this point's evolved already at this time in Greece. And, and, and it's the idea that there are things that are intellectual that are much more important and real and good. Unseen things, spiritual things, things of the mind. Those are real and those are top quality. Those are good. Things of the body, things that are physical, bad. I mean, it's your body that's always getting you in trouble. In your mind and in your spirit, you've got marvelous things. In fact, there was an expression, the body is the prison house of the soul. And so this philosophy starts intermingling with Christianity. And in one strain of thought, the heresy became Jesus Christ, Jesus the man, Christ anointed. Those are two different things. Jesus was a man, but Christ was the Spirit of God. And so Christ, the Spirit of God, only came upon Jesus at a certain time as baptism and then left before the crucifixion because something as good as God could never be crucified and could never endure the suffering. Another thought strain from this was that Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ, but he was an apparition. And some of the people said when he walked on the sand, he left no feet print because he just appeared to be a human. He wasn't actually human in a flesh and blood sense like we are. So because John's writing to address that, when John says every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, what John is actually saying there is this idea that when you recognize that Jesus was truly human and divine, then you got it right. But when you don't, you've got heresy. And the passage that, that we've got here, homolegeo, is the Greek word for says here. Look at the passage. Let's put the scripture up if we can. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everybody who stands up and teaches you. Whether they teach from here, or whether they teach on TV, or whether they're teaching in a book you read. Don't believe every spirit. Test them. Test them to see whether they're from God. There are lots of false prophets who've gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. If they're confessing Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they're from God. But every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. There is an Antichrist, capital A, coming at some point in the end times. But the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. There are already people who are speaking out against Christ and who are deceiving you, are trying to deceive you by making you think they're telling the truth. But what they are preaching is heresy. There really is some things that are true. John says it's worth recognizing 
and that we have a responsibility to try to uh, discern whether or not someone is speaking truth or heresy. The Greek word here, confesses, is homo legeo. And it's used again in, in verse 15. Oh, confesses is, um, in the New International Version, they use acknowledges. But acknowledges is kind of fuzzy for us because what homo legeo means in the Greek is, or, or, or this, the idea behind homo legeo is an idea of not just saying it, but believing it, confessing it as, as part of your life. It's, 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 um, it, it's, it's an endorsement of it. It, it is taking it and, and making it part of who you are. It's something you say not just with your words, but with your life. And if I had Eddie Bell in high school again, I'd say to him, Eddie, I believe you're from God if your life confesses and acknowledges Jesus as Lord, as Christ anointed one, as Messiah come in the flesh. But that's the last thing at that age he wanted to do. Here's another passage, same thing, same words from him down in verse 15. John says, whoever confesses, homo legeo, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The same principle. When you align yourself, when you acknowledge, when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. All right. Now, here's the deal. We've still got heresies today. We've still got people who want to try and teach what they like and what they want people to hear. Mel's not here this morning, but Mel came up to me last Sunday and said, what do you think about this thing? And, and we were talking about a, a Greek word, hilasterion, and how it's translated uh, uh, propitiation and expiation. And I said to him, I said, Mel, this falls into a category of things in my world that I call what I wish the Bible would say, but it really doesn't. Because it would be so cool if the Bible said that. But I don't think the Bible says it. I'd love to stand up here and preach and teach that. It's just not right. And so as much as it sounds really cool and looks like it would fit together like this amazing puzzle, I don't think it's there. Let me show you why. And he was like, oh man, you just ruined it for me. I was really enjoying that. And I said, I know, Mel, I'm sorry, brother. But, uh, uh, you know, we've got to stand up for truth. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. All right, last one. I don't want to run out of time without this one. It's my favorite. The role of love. So how many of you have ever heard of Francis Schaeffer? How many of you have ever tried to read Francis Schaeffer? My hand's up twice. How many of you have ever been frustrated because it's almost impossible to read and make sense of in a lot of places? Me too. And I can remember when I first started reading Francis Schaeffer thinking, this stuff's crazy. I can't understand this guy. He's got all this stuff in here. It just makes no sense to me. And I didn't know if I was an idiot or if he was a poor writer. I decided as I got older, it was a little of both. But I learned some. And I also figured out what he was saying in spite of how he wrote it. But one of the things I never lost track of 
in Francis Schaeffer is he would write about how important love is and how important it is that the Christian loves. And that's a John word. John writes about love, I think, as much as anybody else in the Bible, maybe everybody else put together. It's a huge word. But I want to show you the way John's thinking progresses for us in a love sense. And I hope the font is big enough for you to be able to read it. If you can't read that in the back, I'm sorry. But here's a progression of love, a time progression of love, where I've pulled out some passages and I've put them up here from John. We start out, God and Jesus share love. Within the Godhead itself, there are three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who love each other and honor each other. And we see that in the Gospels it's shown to us, and John writes about it, in the way that God would bless Jesus, and that's God's love being shown to Jesus, but Jesus being obedient to God is the way Jesus was showing his love for God. So we've got passages like John 3.35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. We've got passages like John 14.32. I, Jesus talking here, Jesus, I do as the Father commanded me. So the world may know I love the Father. So we have in here the blessings of God and the obedience of Jesus show that God and Jesus share love. We also know that Jesus loves us. We know that because Jesus was willing to die for us. Jesus himself said, as John wrote in 1513, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So God and Jesus share love. Jesus loves us. Jesus calls us to love him. And we'll show that by our willingness to keep his instructions. Jesus was obedient to God and showed the world that he loved God, the Father. In the same way, we are obedient to Jesus and we show the world we love Jesus. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And so we love Jesus. We show it by our willingness to keep his instructions. But it's important we realize we're loving him in a responsive love. He first loved us. He's who teaches us what love is. He's the one who reached out to us in love. We don't keep his commandments out of fear of what he's going to do to us. He's going to beat us up or something if we don't. We keep his commandments out of love. And that's the motivation. And so we've got passages like 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. And it's a magnificent thing that ends with, we evidence our love for him by keeping his instructions, including the love we have for each other. He said, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so that's our progression of thought. We've got God and Jesus share love. Jesus loves us calls us to love Him. And we do love Him. We respond to His love in love. And we keep His instructions, which includes loving each other. And that's the basis of where we are in this world. 
And it's a magnificent thing. The power of love is tremendous. Jesus says, don't just love your friends. He says, love your enemies. Love has a transforming power. Now, do you remember Shenandoah, the movie with Jimmy Stewart? Jimmy Stewart is a dad who's trying to stay neutral in the Civil War. He's in the Shenandoah Valley. He's lost his wife. He's got some sons and daughters. And, and one of the daughters has a young boy who's courting her. And the boy, here, I got a couple right here. The boy comes to the dad and says, to Jimmy Stewart, says, I want to marry your daughter. And Jimmy Stewart's protective of his daughter is a man with four daughters. I can tell you it comes real easy to us. Jimmy Stewart says to the young boy, he says, well, do you like her? The boy says, well, sir, you, you, you've known me. I've known you all your, I, I love her. You know, I, I, I love her dearly. Jimmy Stewart said, I didn't ask you if you love her. I said, do you like her? I loved her mother for 38 years, but I didn't like her at least half the time. <laughs> I love that. We're called to love each other. You don't have to like each other. But you need to make that conscientious decision. When Jesus says love your enemies, he's not saying have a gooey feeling for them. He's saying you try to do what's best for them. You care about what happens to them. That's the nature of love. And so in this fellowship, we care about each other. We want what's best for each other. That's the nature of love. And we do it because Jesus loved us that way. He dies for us because he cared about us and wanted what was best for us, even when it cost him the ultimate price of human life. And that's the way it is. So here are our points for home. Remember, God is greater than your heart. Don't let your feelings be interpreted as reality. Your feelings are feelings. Focus. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I'm going to focus on working hard to study, on working hard to know truth. Now, there are lots of things in scriptures that are opinions. Lots of things where we don't know the answer. I'm not going to stand up and shout, heretic, if you don't agree with me on something. And please don't throw tomatoes at me if I don't agree with you on something. But there are some things that are foundational. And those are the things where we really need to be careful. And then decide. I'm going to decide to love. Because love is a decision. And I'm going to decide not just to love God. But I'm going to decide to love my enemies. And of course it's not a hard decision to love all of you. So with that. Let me bless you in the name of Jesus. And I'll see you next week. Lord in the name of Jesus. I do ask you to bless all who hear your word. Father, you have shown us incredible love just having an opportunity to be gathered together in your name that you would be present with us. And so that love that you have, Father, I bless on everybody in the name of Jesus and ask you to pour it out on their hearts. Father, I pray that their hearts feel your love but when their hearts do not, Father. 
Continue to confirm in their minds the love that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.